Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. So what's the shit you want to talk before we, uh, it's not like it's a uh, recording right now. So, <laughs> so you heard the rumors about a third, right? So the discussions mm-hmm. were actually happening. Among the bosses and the and the owners of these teams. Really? Yeah. The thing was, though, at some point partway through their discussion, somebody was like, we don't have enough time. And so they're like, oh, OK, let's all just not do it. So then when you turn around, you got to talk to your own league and go, oh, that was that was that was nothing. That was we got to get ready for the season to start. And so what do you think the other teams feel like? Oh, whoa. You think we're not good enough to be included in the discussions? What's up with that? Right. Oh, no way. And for our league, which is in transition, um, basically, I'll just say, you know, Blackie has his own, you know, situation to take care of. So Mm -hmm. he has now been removed as the chairman of the board and the CEO. Those are things are all public. So while in the interim, the board of directors have not selected his replacement. Mm. So we are a leaderless, right? Mm. So my point that I will say on air is like, oh, our team is like really old up. We're a pretty well-run organization internally. At least the colleagues all know what they're doing. They're organized. And, you know, we've had all off season to get ready, plus our three years of experience. So we're rearing to go, but we can't do anything because we have to have the, you know, the slogan approved. We have to have the key visuals approved, which are designed by an outside firm, but still like everyone's just sitting and waiting to do stuff. So for example, our schedule was ready to start. I told you, I think November 4th, but because it was delayed, the owner's like, well, we need another extra week to sell tickets. So then we had to redo the schedule. Now, a lot of it looks similar, but like still like it's kind of a shock to the system of going, oh, we're starting a whole week late. Yeah. That's so then it's not like we're trimming off the first two games off the front end of the schedule. We're Just moving pushing it back because the, we always allow the Braves to the well, at least the last two years, let them open at home for two games exclusively. So they have more exposure. They mm. had the shine of the ring ceremony, the trophy ceremony. But now it's like, OK, that weekend, two is pushed back and everything else technically has to get pushed back. So the rest of the season could look very similar, but like still to the shock of like, uh, how similar can it be? Because you have scheduling conflicts, you have arenas that might be free, might not be free. Right. So that was definitely like, while we're waiting, it was just like, oh, oh. And then announce public. Here's here's the thing that I definitely can't say on air, but hmm. right now in charge of our league is technically Chairman League. Construction. Yes. That was public knowledge, right? Right. And he's the CEO too. Yeah. But we're transitioning from things just adds up to a lot of anxiety oh that should be a good theme of the podcast anxiety in this this hopeless industry there it is that is a theme for today we'll get to some more fun things about me and you know oh my family is very supportive exactly exactly we need support during these anxious times of ours this anxious zeitgeist of ours okay so we're gonna get this party started sir are you ready i'm ready all right here we go i'm gonna give you a little intro and we'll just uh We'll just have fun. All right. Here we go. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats, where we broadcast the most super, natural, and compelling voices and stories from our Space Lab studio here in Da'an, Taipei, Taiwan. Growing up in sunny Southern California, I grew up a Lakers fan. Purple, gold, and black 
Glitz, glamour, hooping, and showtime in the city of angels, where superstars go to shine. Dribble, shoot, explode, slam dunk, and even eventually cross over to the other side like a high-ballin' champagne supernova in the heroic sky. Many legends have called that city and team home, including the OG broadcasting voice of the team, the colorful rapid-fire play-by-play announcer, Mr. Francis Dale Hearn. Chick Hearn, as he was more widely known, was not only the 3,338 consecutive game voice of a generation of Lakers fans, but he also lent his commentary and hosting skills to his show called Bowling for Dollars, the first Ali Frazier fight, forum boxing fights, U.S. Open golf tournaments, USC football and basketball games, U.S. Summer Olympic games, and a bodacious bevy of television and movie work. Though based in Southern California, Chick's voice reverberated across the world and even echoed its way up PCH to Northern California, where our guest for today's episode was hatched, listening to Chick as a young boy as well. Now, all grown up and back in the country of Taiwan, he has found himself following in Chick's wings or vocal cords, serving as the English language broadcasting voice for the recent WBSC Under-18 Baseball World Cup, as well as the Plus League, stylized as P-League Plus, aka the PLG, one of two men's professional basketball leagues here in Taiwan. The league was founded in 2020 and consists of six teams, the Formosa Dreamers, Shinju Lioneers, Kaohsiung 17 Live Steelers, New Taipei Kings, Taipei Fubang Braves, and the Taoyuan Puyan Pilots. The 2023-24 season is right around the corner with the first regular season games taking place on the ever auspicious 11th day of the 11th month, November double 11. With the first game of the new season just a few short weeks away, we're taking this chance to tip it off and freestyle chat by the fireside about sports, passion, a random play-by-play mashup of stories, and get to know the man behind the broadcast voice himself. And with that, Mocha and I are happy to welcome our special guest for this latest episode of Firelight Chats, a fellow podcast host and the English language broadcaster and international affairs manager of the PLG, the one and only Mr. Ryan Chen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, seniors and youth. And in this special episode, thank you, Kane and Mocha, for having me over to the studio. It's really exciting. I believe I might be the first having to do with sports as my profession to be on the... Firelight Chats. That's really exciting. And that introduction was... Oh, almost too much. A little uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. You are the star of the show. You're usually commentating about the stars, but little do they know that there's a man behind the booth who is the real star of the show. You know, what's part of the interesting thing about my start to commentating is I actually sent in a demo to the sports network that eventually had me on initially, but that demo also was sent to a 
at the time basketball commentator Kenny Gao Jingyan, who's famous for going on the NBA broadcast here in Taiwan, Kenny Gao. Mm. And so he was a Southern Californian OC kid. Ooh. And so that was the first name he thought of was like, hey, Ryan, you know, you're going to do the English commentary for baseball. And he was referring to a guy he knows well, which is Chick Hearn. So no way. I actually had very little studying into Chick previously, obviously see the highlights, show the clips, but I didn't study his history and whatnot. But then that was a very strong reference point that really was very eye opening hmm. for someone who didn't even get on the microphone yet. Yeah. 2020 that was just a demo reel i recorded at like four in the morning oh that's crazy to watch watching a cpbl game at the time because the whole world was shut down so baseball in taiwan was the only pro sports going on and that's where i got my start okay so let's just jump right into that then so this was during COVID. that's right so everyone remembers not in Taiwan, that we had our shutdown in March mm. in the United States, particularly. So everyone called off their sports season. Certainly everybody who was, you know, out and about, maybe like students living abroad or working away from their parents, everybody had to reconsider where they were. So I was lucky enough to be comfortable living in our house in Northern California, but everybody had a lot less things to do. And so the CPBL just pushed back their season a little bit, figuring out their SOPs, their, you know, pandemic prevention procedures, and then putting up robots in the stands that was kind of funny and what oh. what what role do the cheerleaders do well we got to have them we'll just put them on tv but there won't be an audience behind them and distance them yeah and so <laughs> they figured out that enough people around the world were interested in sports especially because again we had nothing to do so like even in the early mornings of every day three four in the morning when the cpbl starts in taiwan but in northern california that's the time i had to give up to go watch it mm. and so I'm going to skip ahead probably in your questions. And so growing up in Taipei, I looked up to the professional ball players here in Taiwan, the allure of it, the history of the national team having good records. The start of the league was always an insightful thing because it ran congruent to the democratization here on the island and the government opening up to, you know, full participation in the public. So baseball coincided with that. So mm. by the, you know, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, when I was starting to, you know, have some impressionable views and perspectives of the, the world, the land. Growing up, I'm like, okay, so, you know, Star Movie, you know, HBO, those TV stations in Taiwan in the high 60s, mid 60s, they have an SAP function to listen to the movies Spanish. in the original language, but yeah. Spanish in the States. Exactly. So in Taiwan, I'm like, okay, there's an English. I can watch these movies. You know, I'm an American kid. I'm gonna watch these movies. But then when you flip up to the low 70s to VL Sports, to Star Sports, ESPN at the time in Taiwan, it's like, well, why don't they have an English commentary track? And so as, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year old but i'm like okay so one day i'm gonna try to do that be an english commentator for the cpbo but in 2020 i found my stuff back in the states and they had the thing going on without me <laughs> so i'm like oh i gotta get back this is that's me that's me and so oh, no i sent way. in my demo reel thankfully to my father he knew some people in the sports and broadcasting world who knew a person who knew a person and they were like well we don't know how long this will last but if you find yourself back in taiwan you know we'll put you on air we'll give you a shot we don't know how long it's gonna go on because right. Everyone's just trying to figure out the pandemic mm -hmm. to like refer day back to day. something that I'm sure you and your guests probably don't talk about very often at length. But that was the situation. So found myself back in Taiwan, did those broadcasts and, uh, that was only six for the second half of the Rakuten Monkey season. So I actually don't have a lot of baseball under my belt before. I, luckily enough, in October, 
commentated on Plus League preseason games and then a couple stops in November. And then by the end of the month, was fortunate enough to join the team. And so you fast forward three years later, that's where we find ourselves right here getting ready for the fourth season. So it actually started with baseball. It did start with baseball. Okay. Was this in Taipei or Taichung or... So I got hooked up to the 11 Sports Broadcasting Company. 11 Sports, originally an English broadcasting because 11 is for 11 men on the pitch of football or soccer. Mm. And so their particular deal that season was with the Rakuten Monkeys in Taoyuan. Mm-hmm. So I think I was slotted for every uh, Friday after my trial, Friday night home game. So I only got six because... You know, as long as a baseball season is, you like you do the scheduling out. They have so many home games and then so many home games, you know, on the weekend. So that was just my slot mm. for the Rakuten Monkeys. And, you know, they had a strong squad many time chance before as the especially as La Nute squad and then Lamigo and so many iterations. Mm-hmm. But that year they had a kind of disappointing season. So there was no playoffs. But mm. that was me for six broadcasts, all with a lucky enough got a shout out to uh, Boston Wang Yunqing. Mm. who's the like everything baseball guy here in Taiwan. So what did this broadcast tape look like? How did you put together this reel? I basically just recorded it on my phone while watching the game. So all the quote unquote commercial breaks between innings, I would just sit in the living room silently as the recording would keep going. I don't remember if I paused it or not, but it was legitimately the whole game. And I had to sit on the floor, I think, because I was trying to be quiet, let my family stay sleeping. So I would sit on the floor of my living room and then keep score, keep box scores like a normal broadcaster would, or sometimes some fans would, Mm. you know, record the score, talk about what I observed from the game, what are the stats they brought to the game, anything noteworthy from the, you know, the news headlines. And I just sat there and commentated by myself at four in the morning. No way. I don't imagine anyone listened to the whole thing, <laughs> but it was good enough to get me my gig. How long was the reel? It was the well, whole the, game. The game is, especially CPU BBL years ago, was so long. So I think it, it yeah. would, even if I cut out all the in-between innings, it could still be two and a half hours easily. Two and a half hour recording. And then CPBL games, certainly before some pitch clock rules were kicked in recently, easily three hours and 15 minutes, three and a half hours. Oh, no way. And then how did you get hooked up with P-League? So my father and the founder of the league, Chen Jinso, or he likes to call himself Blackie. His, mm. If you prefer to use a different name, he goes by Charles after his favorite basketball player, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. That's right. So my father and Charles were alumni of the same university. Cultural University up in Yangmingshan. Yes, up in the mountains. So when you start a league, you got to make all your phone calls. It's like any other startup, right? You got to use all your connections, at least have a conversation. You know, Kane, do you have any advice for me? Or can you refer me to so-and-so? And You know, I'm trying to, either you want resources, either you want more connections, or you just want to provide more exposure. So like, you can obviously make a flyer mm. or you can give a phone call to somebody. Hey, we got this basketball league going. You know, I'd love to have you at a game sometime. Simple things like that. So my father was like, he learned that, oh, your strategy is to put your games on YouTube because the existing semi-pro league, we call it the SBL, they've put their games on YouTube for several years. So to compete with that, you know, the audience would say, well, we need a free broadcast somewhere that's very accessible. The Plus League suggested, well, we got to put our games on YouTube. So knowing this, my father's like, well, I know that YouTube is online and I think the whole world can watch it. So let me ask you, Charles, uh, do you have an English commentating situation set up? Because the whole world's going to be watching 
And we can imagine, because at the end of 2020, maybe sports leagues began making preparations or playing in front of closed door stadiums. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly already past the you know biggest opportunity that the CPBL had in the spring of 2020 and the, through the summer. Mm-hmm. But still, you can still catch that wave of like, well, a lot of people should be interested, right? So Charles was like, uh, hey, uh, uh, I don't, I never thought about that, but do you have anybody in mind? And my dad's like, huh, it's October. The baseball season's ending. You can tap my son. He just, he's about to finish his baseball commentary situation because he knew the monkeys weren't going to make the playoffs. So Charles was like, Hey, yeah, we can try that out. So it was the week of my, I think the week of my birthday that I went into the office, which we still work at in Taipei. I went in, talked to Charles and uh, his good bud and basketball fan, uh, Jason Tang. Mm -hmm. And some of the league people who was working there and there's like, okay, Ryan, so here's the deal. Here are the rules of imports. Um, it's going to be 12 minute quarters. So we'll be a little bit more pro than the, you know, the official international basketball game where try to, and then this is our thing. I'm like, okay, okay. And then that same day, already my father's invested with the Shinzu Lioneers. Mm. And so they were hosting at the time a like a media basketball day where they invite members of the press from the papers, the TV networks, like, hey, you can play basketball on our floor. We'll have a little, you know, scrimmage. And then opposite of you are going to be Lioneers people. So not players, but like investors, you know, employees of the team. And they're going to have a little exchange. And so they get to experience what the stadium setup is like in Shinzu County Stadium. They're going to have like a friendly game. They have a little situation. friendly scrimmage okay. going on. Okay. And so wow. after the meeting at the office, went to the stadium and I didn't play in it. I just observed and watched, took notes about what I see from the video board, how they set up the court. I've never been to Shinzu County Stadium. It's a big, you know, 8,000 capacity stadium. It's got suites up high, but the seats go right down to the court, basically. So it feels very intimate on the sidelines. Hmm. And, you know, taking it all in. And that's where the preseason's first stop was going to be October 17th and 18th to start things off in Shinzu because they never had a pro team hmm. basketball wise. And right. the Lioneers were basically a new founded team. Mm-hmm. You know, to turn the history back, the Braves already a squad. They were playing in the ABL for the first time, longtime SBL participants. The foremost of dreamers have participated in the ABL, but they had their squad. They know what they're doing. They were in their, uh, I think it was their fourth or fifth year. And then the Pilots, basically on paper, a new team, but they took half the squad from their Puyan team and they were going to uh, play in both. Mm. So they had some players already there. They had some brand recognition, but the Lioneers were brand new. So Kenny was the general manager of the Lioneers. He basically put together a whole new squad plus a couple of, you know, basically college standouts. You know, Oscar Gaguahal was in the States and then Tian Hao out of Zhenzhou University who shot up from the, you know, Yizu, the B division up to the A division. That squad was going to win championships from then on. But Tian Hao said, I, I'm not going to finish school. Let me go turn pro. Mm. So there's your setup, your four team setup to start things off. And then in that preseason, we played 12 games. So each team played six, two at every stop. So everybody was already pretty, pretty done with the preseason. We, everyone's like, we played too much. Everybody's exactly. worn down because everybody had to play back to backs oh, wow. in the preseason and during the regular season too. But then you're just adding more repetitions because our regular season was 48 games. So you played each other eight times. Wow. And then you add two more times during the preseason. 
Oh. So you played everyone 10 times at least and in that very first 2020. season. Yeah, 2020 to 21 season. So in a funny way, like our preseason was too stretched out. But in a sense, you know, you have to test out new equipment. You have yeah. to test out new technology. The referees are going to got used to the situation too. So it kind of made sense. And you had three stops. Shenzhou, then I think November 7 and 8, the Braves hosted our preseason stop. And then the league hosted one in Taizong, Tai Ti, Taiwan Sports University. So did you commentate during this preseason? And I commentated every single game. So in a sense, I got a lot of reps really quickly in that preseason. Thrown into the fire. That's right. Um, That's amazing. And thanks to, uh, you know, the league people having connections, especially Charles, he said, well, okay, Ryan, you know, we got to put a color commentator in with you. And so for my very first season, I was very lucky to have uh, my banda. Coach Ben Metcalf, who was a coach with the Puyuren squad, eventually winning a championship, but as an assistant coach when they had their 4P. Hmm. So Ben Metcalf at the time already moved on to basically a shoe manufacturer and he was living in Tidezone, but they're like, okay, Ben, you know, it's in English. Ben is like, well, I've done Mandarin commentary for basketball games. English, not as many people watching, but... I get to, you know, talk about the game. I don't have to coach because that was at a point where, you know, starting a new family, the stresses of, you know, being away from your family for so long. Mm. He was like, oh, commentating just for the weekends. Oh, yeah, easy easy gig. And so, and he understands Mandarin too. So when the producer says, okay, we're going to commercial. Oh, we're going to show you this graphic. He can catch on real quick. And the Mm. other one who would be doing it really for the first time was James Mao. You know, and the funny thing is on occasion, James would have his, you know, commercial duties because, you know, that's part of, you know, his personal gig, his business, personal brand and whatnot. Mm. But he was kind of learning the ropes too, which I mean, it really accelerated because you fast forward to the second season, he's tabbed as the general manager for the new Taipei Kings. Right, 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 right. So that was my first year with those two guys. So that was a lot of fun, but really eye-opening. I wasn't even all prepared. If you look at my, you know, rundown now, you know, there's like almost a dozen layers of my preparation before a game. And that time is like, uh, let me get a piece of paper. Uh, okay. If I see anything, I'll write it down too. But when you're commentating basketball, very different than baseball is action goes by so fast. Yeah. You know, the shot clock's only 24 seconds, Mm -hmm. but modern basketball says, okay, well, if we shoot it early, maybe there's less defense around us. So we don't need to work so hard, work the whole 24. So you add that and Taiwan basketball naturally is a very fast paced game. Coaches Mm. are just like, our boys aren't very tall, Mm. so we can't be bumping all day long. We'll play fast Mm -hmm. and then we'll spread the floor out. We'll shoot it. And if we miss, we'll just go back on defense and start again. try try to do it over again Mm -hmm. after a defensive stop. So Taiwan basketball and basketball in general is just so fast paced. There's no time to write anything down. Silly me. (laughs) (laughs) And pen and paper. uh -uh. Like I can't even type things down that fast if I have a notepad ready digitally right exactly you might say like oh Rob, what you do you've done it three years it's like yeah but the game's still fast it's still Mm -hmm. a challenge to try to keep up with the game you know think of topics to talk about at halftime at the end of the game so you know it's still a challenge and i'm still learning at it right it's great and play everything by ear yeah in real time because there's only so much you can prep Mm -hmm. right even if you have everything ready very often i tell people like you probably like junk half of the notes you get ready for a game because what if you go oh this team is not a great three-point shooting team and they hit you know just start five of seven to start the game you're like well i can't really say that i guess at halftime you could be like well maybe there's a return to the mean right (laughs) and then you bring out all the nerd stuff and everyone falls asleep on you but you actually just hinted that nowadays your prep looks a lot different you said like 12 layers or something what does it look like now all right so it all starts 
at some point I figured like there's so many shots being taken in basketball, right? I might not commentate on all of them, but I will say like makes or misses. So when the ball goes in, you say, oh, you know, Kane shoots him from 12 feet. It's good. Mm. Okay. Well, you don't want to say that every time. So I started, I would draw a grid on my paper and like either write down or pre-write them and then cross them off during the game. So I can you know, add some variety to it. So that's like the first piece. But now mm. it evolved to like, okay, I had it all typed up. So that then I just printed out a printer. So it looks formulaic and it looks the same every time. Mm. And then there would be the starting lineup on it. So, you know, halfway through the game or the second half, when the second half starts, I'll just look down like, is it the same five or did the coach put somebody else in as a starter? You know, it doesn't make a huge difference, but it's just something no. noteworthy about the game. Because certainly some players have superstitions or they have habits about starting versus, you know, finishing the game, coming off the bench are all different. But if I take notes, like if the internet went down, I would use that piece of paper to take notes from every quarter, say, some team went on a run or who called the timeout at what time mm. and what was the score at that time? Okay. Did, did the timeout work? Did mm. they, they counter with a run? You know, those are good notes to take. Now I digitalize that now just, you know, typing is more is faster than writing for myself. Mm. So on my computer, I have maybe almost, almost a dozen tabs open. It's at least half a dozen. There's like stats from the, the two teams. There might be, if they played the previous night, okay, what did they do? What did the guys do previous night? Or at least, their last game, for example, I would have the broadcast open too. So I might peek at the chat if it's a really slow going game. Mm. I would actually, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but I communicate with my colleagues too, sometimes during the game, hmm. because in the league, I also am, you know, very important in terms of, you know, keeping stats and keeping records. So I'll at least help out in that department. It still belongs to the operation colleagues I have, but then I might jump in with like, okay, Hey, is this kind of working towards the records. He's, the guy had like 14 straight free throws made, for example. So I might be I might be talking to you, Kane, on air. Hey, so uh, the second half is about to start, but at the same time, I might be typing. Guys, uh, you know, have you, paid, have you paid attention to that? Right. Yeah, so still participating in the league operation, what we do there. So that's another thing. Uh, super multitasking skills. You know, I might have to help out with the uh, import interviews because mm. um, especially pregame, the commentator on the Mandarin side, they're the ones in charge of it. So they have a bigger role, but they might go to me and say, hey, can you just check out my questions? Is it grammatically mm. okay enough or does it make sense? I might help them out with that. Mm -hmm. um, I have not done this yet, but what could happen is I might leave the English broadcast and go on the court and interview an import. That's something we've talked about. And I'm something of like, Kind, kind of, of psych, ready for that. Psych myself up, up for it. Exactly. And it's not happened yet, thankfully. Our Mandarin broadcasters do a pretty good job. I'll give oh. them credit for that. So the, the import will hear them on their ear in English as best they can, and they'll answer. And so far, it's been okay. But that's something we've definitely like, hey, because as a professional broadcast, you like to see sideline reporters, mm. right? Because the person would have somebody to talk to. Um, the sideline reporter would have a different perspective on the game. Mm-hmm. Though, if you pulled me, technically, I had the same perspective as the Mander broadcasters because right. I'm watching it from my vantage. I see the replay on this monitor, the TV networks prepped for us. So, and I commentate the whole game. Mm. So, rhythmically, I'm already, you know, sharing my thoughts, sharing my observations. Whereas a sideline reporter, you don't hear from him or her through most of the game until, okay, we got to cue this person here. Or, okay, we'll cue them again, you know, after this timeout. Or we'll cue them, you know, after halftime. And this certainly post game. So the amount of airtime they have is very different. Mm. Anyways, that's a whole nother thing. What else do I do for prep? I have two different color pens to cross out my calls during the game. So, okay, the first half is blue. 
Let you guys know. And okay. the second half is black because it's darker. So <laughs> I'll see it. Okay, I did it. I said it in the first half. Okay, I'll do it in the second half. Here we go. We'll say uh, famously, Bang is used, Mike Breen. And then here in Taiwan, Taewon uh, Kuei, Mark, uses a lot when he commentates. So uh, save that. But, you know, cross that out. Right, 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 right. I say a lot of unstoppable or unbelievable. Those are your phrases. I like the I like unwords a lot. At least that comes to mind. <laughs> we'll have to see. I got to recalibrate. It's it's been a kind of a long off season. <laughs> right, right, right. So where are you usually positioned? I think last time we talked, depending on the situation, depending on the stadium, you're going to be in a different position as well. Yeah, for the most part, they put me at the baseline cuz for the teams, a very important priority is to, you know, build up the fanfare of the game. And so one important thing is to provide a VIP experience or a courtside experience for fans. So obviously sideline seats, valuable space, courtside seats are the valuable, whether it's mm. for your owners or whether it's for sponsors. Certainly the paying fans want to be close to the action. They want to have that experience because they never had that before. Mm. So courtside seats, especially along the sideline opposite the score table are most valuable. And so on the baselines, though, is where the teams go, well, the perspective's not the best, mm. but it's still close enough to the court. That's usually where teams situate me. Is that okay, being there? I mean, have you ever commentated from the sidelines? And then how does that compare to the baseline? Well, the new Taipei Kings put the English broadcast table right on the sideline next to the Mandarin commentators. Mm. So that is... I will say that is the best perspective because, you know, you look left and it's one half the court. You look right and it's the other half of the court. So it's obviously not symmetrical, but mm. like your perspective on both sides is equal. Mm. Now the team switch sides and you'll see them from a different side because some teams, they want to go help their guys go right more. Other teams don't mind going left or the weak sides, so to say. Whereas the baseline, you have like, you know, the far end of the court is yeah, that's hard. That half, the near end is this half. But when you're commentating, you're supposed to say the far end of the court is the scorer's table side because that's what the TV or YouTube perspective is. Right, right, that's right. That's the far side and the near side is the opposite of the oh. scorer's table. So anyways, you you got those math going on for you. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny, my very first season, I part of my prep on the sheet, uh, I would write city names down just to say like, oh, he shot it so far all the way from uh, Jakarta. <laughs> Well, certainly when we had a Filipino player, it'd be like, okay, oh, Manila. From, from Manila, right? Right, right, right. But then like, uh, I didn't, I use it so rarely that it's like, never mind. I, I'm not going to write that down as part of my prep. But that was something, you know, you got to think about because then I drew a basketball court on my paper. And so I wrote down the city name in that spot. So just so I know if a player shot it from there, oh. I got to be right. Now, you know, it might be a small detail. People don't know how the orientation of the stadium is, but mm. that's a little look into how my mind works. I, I got to get the direction right. That's awesome. Gives a little kind of 3D experience. Because all this, almost all the stadiums, they notate their like entrance ways or, you know, this quarter of the seats by north, south, east, west. Don't let mm. Shibe. Mm -hmm. So in the stadium, it sometimes helps to look up like what section is over there? And what huh. section's over there? Right. Because once you enter the arena, it's a different feel than if you're, you know, walking around the perimeter. Right. You know, if you have a good sense of direction, you know, oh, okay, the sun rises here, sunsets here. So that's east, that's west. Therefore, that's north, that's south. But when mm. you go into every arena, well, the court doesn't have to follow those same rules. Of course. Or you just, you enter a whole different vibe and a whole different atmosphere in there. And that's what it's supposed to be. Exactly. I was about to ask you about that. I've only been to Heping, the Taipei Fubon Braves home stadium. What about the different stadiums? Can you tell us about your kind of feeling of them? I think the Brave Stadium is 
very, um, it, it's actually very blue too on the interior, the walls and true, whatnot. True, so true, it, true. It, it does have a very strong home court feel and the natural floor because the Braves rent or whoever rents the uh, space, the basketball floor is painted blue. So, so perfect for the for, Braves. So perfect for the Braves. Not so good for um, other teams who will be playing there. <laughs> right. That's one thing. Capacity is quite high at 7,000 who can be in the stadium, but it doesn't feel that big. Right. It like, feels very intimate. Yeah. The seats kind of slant up quite high mm-hmm. in a in a higher angle, I should say. So like it feels like it's not very far. It doesn't feel far to me, very far from any of these nosebleed stadiums right. compared to like, you know, big 20,000 person arenas you might come to expect as an NBA fan, for example. Mm. So that's that. And the Brave Stadium, basically one main entrance. I feel like the concourse could be a little bigger because the Braves put a lot of activities from drawings or maybe like uh, giveaways, mm-hmm. you know, knock down some, knock down some stack cans, kind of right. carnival <laughs> games. And you, can, you go up the escalators on two sides and there's food on one side. There's a store on the other side. The biggest thing to remember about all these stadiums is the teams don't own them. They mm. rent them pretty much. Now, you might have a better deal. You might have a better relationship with your city, but you don't control all the time. You don't control all the hardware. Right. Because if teams privately purchase the land and build up the arena, they can customize it. That's not the case in Taiwan yet. So maybe going quickly to a stadium where the Braves are familiar with, Okinawa Arena, the host of one of the competition sites for the 2023 FIBA World Cup. Right. Well, Okinawa Stadium, which I had the good fortune of going in March I heard for it's East Asian Super League. It's amazing. It's not that big. It's only seats uh, about, oh, I don't remember. It's only about for 10,000 fans, but all the sight lines are great. The big screen monitor is humongous. Oh. You know, the broadcast stands are up high, which might not be great for broadcasters, but it's a fair view. Right mm. from a from a studio room upstairs, it's air conditioned and whatnot. And then the there's this huge like VIP slash media space up on one side. And so they worked with the city, the Ryukyu Golden Kings worked with the city government, the uh, prefecture of Okinawa to figure out how they're going to build the stadium. And it was very intentional. This is going to be a world class basketball stadium, and they mm. did it. The mm. World Cup Arena, and it was amazing. It was awesome. And of course, it helps that you know the, the Japanese squad. Did amazing, winning mm-hmm. three games and getting a pass to the Olympics. So they have that working for them. All right, now let's move on to the other stadium. You know, uh, Xinjiang is actually probably the stadium basketball fans in Taiwan are most familiar with. Mm. High school, college, and SBL certainly played there. The Kings kind of operated a little differently because they don't let the grandstand, the bleachers, go all the way down. They actually save two or three rows so they can create an exclusive VIP first floor. So people who work in the arena or obviously who sit courtside and the media personnel, they have a little bit more exclusive of a space. Whereas in other games, they might have the bleachers go all the way down, all the way level just to expand seating, for example. What Mm. else is there to say? You know, it was good that the Kings and the other team that plays there, the uh, CTBC DEA, both teams decided to be yellow. Right. And then they agreed, oh, we can paint paint the floor yellow. And the Uh. city government's like, all right, cool. Y'all agree. Let's do it this way. Which came first? The yellow floors or the the jerseys? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the jerseys did <laughs> <Okay>. came first. <laughs> um, it's quite big. There's concourse goes all the way around and it's level. Parking is very tricky there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that parking's tricky pretty much every arena. <laughs> right, right, right. The Kings Stadium, the way they run their DJ set and the way the team kind of operates already, not in a negative way or positive way. It just feels more American. So 
the hip hop they play is a little bit more American. Mm. The MC uses a lot more English phrases as the game goes on, for example. This is even pre-Lin family dynasty. That's right. For those of you who don't know, Jeremy Lin is playing basketball professionally here in Taiwan. Last year was on a different team. This year, he will be a member of the new Taipei Kings. But we should preface it by saying his younger brother, Joseph Lin, mm -hmm. was actually traded for the year before. Yes. And led that squad all the way to the finals where they fell to Joseph's yeah, previous team. six games. That was a crazy... And he scored like 40 points in the final one. Yeah, he went off. That's right. So it was first Joseph's team. Well, we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't Something know how exciting it goes. to look forward We've to. We've only seen them in preseason and some scrimmages. Well, that's the new Taipei Kings. Mm. The next stadium is the uh, Taoyuan Arena mm. or Taoyuan Dan. Okay. Um, it's very much a municipal stadium. Like it's perfectly cir circular. Um, they only use like two thirds of it because everyone on the higher levels are so far and they are like, well, we're not going to have 10,000 people in here. So right. they use about two thirds of it and have the seating for 5,000 ish fans. They put up two video monitors on a side where they install bleachers. They move in the basketball floor, which the pilots custom made. So it looks beautiful. Mm. The problem is because it was brand new in 2020, it was very slippery. Like the way they coated it, the wood material itself. So like they constantly had to be wiping the floor oh. to make sure there was no sweat, there was no condensation, but it was very slippery. Now it's a lot better. Huh. It's almost like, you know, baseballs, baseball gloves, even basketballs. Yeah, even like all kind of balls sneakers. Need to, need to get worked in. Exactly. New sneakers is a great one. Yeah. Well, apparently the hardwood on a basketball court needs to get worked in too. Who would have thought? <laughs> now we know. I don't know. I'm learning things too along <laughs> exactly. with your audiences. So the Taoyuan <laughs> Arena is definitely on the older side in Municipal Stadium. It's kind of hard to get to, but according to the pilots, it's easy accessible for locals through the local bus network. Mm. Okay. Okay. Concourse is rather narrow. It's kind of funny because they only use part of it. So like it's only like two thirds. So actually it's very quick to get around from one end of the floor to the other end. It's very open spaces on the floor because they just put the hardwood down and then the rest of it is like open space. The seats are all padded, which is kind of funny on the lower level. Oh, the not pull those hard rounds. plastic ones. Yeah, they're all padded, but they're really tight. So like there's very little room to get in front of people. So Ooh. once you're seated, be comfortable. Right. But then, it, you but know, you can't walk it's, it's, a little, it's a little tough to get around. Can't go to the bathroom. You know, I will say, um, because it's naturally lit, it has some funky, like, lighting situations. If you play an afternoon game with, like, a cloud would go over and it'd be like, oh, it's a little darker right now. Oh, no way. Yeah. But it, but it's not outdoors. No, it's not outdoors, but it just has natural lighting come okay. through basically the uh, the canvases for the roof. So people kind of dog on this stadium because it's on the older side, because the pilots have up and downs in their records. So the fan, they say, are not that much. But I would contend when they play night games, it gets even darker when they turn out the lights, interestingly enough. Mm. So when, when they do player introductions, they do the pregame show and they put the lights up, they shine stuff on the canvas banners up top. It actually is a pretty nice show. And the play can get pretty loud and rowdy when it goes good. Next, the three-time best home court in the Plus League in the Lion Years home at Shinzu County Stadium. Mm -hmm. Actually, probably one of the most professionally minded built stadiums, but it was all by the city government. I say that because there are several, I think almost like 10 VIP boxes on the higher levels. Oh, is that the only stadium with VIP boxes? With multiple. Like, Xinjiang has just two. Heping, I think, just has two. Okay. That are high up. 
Mm. So there's, I think, about 10 in various sizes. Now, nobody's ever thought to decorate them, kept them nice and tidy, dress them up real nice. But the Lioneers came in and said, well, this could be an opportunity for us to, you know, spruce up the place, have a nice place for our VIPs, sponsors to go to. Anyways, back to the stadium. Like I said, the the stands go really close down to the floor. So it's very intimate with mm. the fans on the sidelines. So some people say like, oh, is it a very intimidating place to play? Actually, our pro players, because they haven't played in home and away arenas for very long, they're like, it's actually kind of fun to get heckled by fans. And the Lioneers fans, I would kind of say led by my father, mm. are trying to like, we want to we wanna heckle and trash talk smartly. We don't need to use crude words. We just need to be- uh, We are we Shinju. We are engineers. We need to be, <laughs> we need to be, uh, we need to come with some wit. Okay. We kind of, so like when so that's like your father, he's a witty he, he, heckler. Yeah, he's kind of lead. He they call him the uh, cheerleading captain. No way, they do of the stadium or Basically, of the team because he's sitting courtside right around the half court line. So he is like when the players run by, like he is right there. It's not like he's in the corner, right? And he has to heckle from far away. He like, gets everyone. Like everybody who comes by, he might be able to, you know. And good fun, add something. So the funniest thing would be like, he would suggest to like number 14 of the Braves, Ty Woodson, who's played forever, you know, not, doesn't have the strongest hairline. They call him Chimeo Lautia, you know, a whimsical uncle or grandpa figure. Mm. And so Ty Woodson might run by and then my dad would be like, Ty Woodson, you got to find yourself open in the corners. And Ty Woodson was like, wow, what's the dollar? What's the dollar? <laughs> I know. That would be the funniest. No Some way. other guys are a little bit more businessman-like, but Ty Winston's one of dad's favorite to, to, just to interact with. Talk with. And sometimes he would root for the other team too. I mean, just for the sake of having a good product on the floor. Mm. And then so other teams, the other players would say like, yeah, it might be kind of tough when the fans are against you, but it also makes it fun. It makes it a challenge. So that's where the value is in proving you can win. The stadium is probably the biggest of all square footage wise. So the tunnels are rather, the concourse is rather wide. So it's kind of comfortable in that way. They haven't permanently installed, but they kind of have the most extensive like team shop mm. at Shinzu, which is really cool. They have racks upon racks of merch to give away. They have the most, all kinds of merch to try to get basketball into their fans' lives with like towels, rags, all the way from plushes and the basic necessity of jerseys and shirts and whatnot. So that's the Lioneers home stadium. Then you go down to uh, basically the Zhongbu team mm. because they're not exactly the Taizong team. The Dreamers originally started in Zhanghua. Okay. So that is a basically university stadium of Zhanghua Shida on that mountain. And so originally they started there, but then the stadium went through renovations. We'll get to see it during this season of the Plus League. Whereas in the last two seasons, they played in Taizong at a basically upstairs of a reception hall. So it's the smallest of the stadiums at only 3,000 capacity. Taizong Mini then. So if we're just talking about that place, it's very small, as I mentioned before. It feels very, very intimate from every single fan inside the arena, every single attendee. They like to call it like a nightclub feel, which is kind of ironic because the Dreamers like to start their games at 2.30 so everybody could go home and commute home. 2.30 p.m. 2.30 p.m. That's not a cool nightclub. Well, I mean, that's that's why they're trying to make it a nightclub <laughs> see. during the daytime. <laughs> and then now they're going to split time between... Uh, that stadium in Zhanghua. And so Zhanghua oh. is one of the older stadiums, but they had a renovation in the last couple of years. We'll get to see it as it goes. And the last one is Fengshan down in Kaohsiung in the Fengshan neighborhood of things. Right. That one the is Steelers. also an older municipal stadium, but it is also a perfect circle. But unlike Taoyuan, they use the entire floor of the basketball playing surface and the arena. And so the way that the roof structure is with these panels also makes it echo a lot. So hmm. with even less people, 
it can still feel quite loud. And so there was a stretch last season when the team was not doing so well before Jeremy arrived. And even a thousand, even a couple thousand people could make Fongsan Stadium really loud. And you can imagine once Jeremy arrived, I remember very clearly on February 12th, he made his debut. Oh man, that place was rocking, but very old stadium. The Steelers finally figured out how to like direct people to the, the biggest restrooms in the arena. So the lines weren't as crazy as people lining up for, you know, a a small restroom of like three stalls and like two (laughs) toilets. Like that was almost unbearable. But now they direct, they redid the line. So that's what the Steelers are up to. You know, it's a little bit out of the way, but it also feels like, like a real like Wrigley feel. Like it's kind of suburban of an arena. Hmm. which is kind of cool because like it's attached to like this big track and this like kind of park kind of sports kind of situation. So it has its own vibe. It is a little further to get to from the uh, high speed reel, admittedly. But, you know, that's kind of the vibe you get. And the Steelers, you know, are looking to make the playoffs for the first time and looking forward to see what kind of atmosphere that brings. Hmm. Do the P-League teams play in the same stadiums as the other league, the T1 league? Some teams share their arenas. Like, the, like Kaohsiung, for example. Kaohsiung, the Aquas play at the Kaohsiung K Arena downtown. So okay. that one's very convenient. It's very big. Concert people love the K Arena because it's really big. There's no noise complaints. Not to throw shade at any particular place, but <laughs> that's the K Arena. So those are separate. Those that are shared, we we mentioned the DEA mm-hmm. and the Kings play in right. the same arena. They, the floor is team the floor yellow. Team yellow. Yep. Team yellow. <laughs> team yellows. Um, for the upcoming season, there's the Taipei Mar, Taishing Mars, Taipei Mars, but their parent organization is the Taishing Financial Corporation. Right. They want to play at Hooping Gymnasium. And I think they've got the dates down and they're going to split it with the Braves. Oh, wow. Basketball wise, because Hooping Gymnasium is very popular for all kinds of things. Mm like a uh, bodybuilding, you know, badminton, oh. all kinds of stuff like, right. like Hooping Gymnasium. Right across from Taida. Exactly. For the upcoming season, we know the Leopards, who have a very confusing name. Taoyuan, Taipei, probably, you know, titled sponsor, Yongfeng Leopards. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's going to be a handful for my sister, who's also a commentator. They're right. expecting to play at the Taoyuan Dome, just like the pilots. And so both groups are committed to investing quite a bit in the stadium, build up the fan experience. So we'll see how, what it turns out. Okay. Uh, I think that is all three. There's some teams that do share. That is true. Which team do you think is the most likely to pony up? and invest in their own stadium? That is an interesting question. Everyone's first thought, rightfully so, are to the teams who are backed by a big financial institution. And that is- and Like the champions. Like the champions, for example. (laughs) For everybody though, the big challenge is real estate. Because nobody's just sitting on a big plot of land and not putting up a big bank. Because you just put up a bank and the bank would, you know, make money. It would be a good spot for your employees to go, conference space and whatnot. Nobody's just sitting on a big plot of land and just like, someday I'll build it into a basketball arena. That's Mm. just not how real estate works in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So I would actually venture and say like, you know, the Lioneers in in Jupe, maybe there's property that's available, but it is not cheap. Admittedly, there's a lot of business, a lot of new energy going into that part of town. So that might be kind of challenging too. So we're still waiting. To be fair, you know, we really look up to the B League in Japan and the The professional basketball league. It's a little confusing of a name because it's the A League. But it's called the B League. It's kind of a carryover from their previous names. They had the uh, basically called the BJ League and the I think it was the JBL. And so they figured the B League would be their name. I should ask somebody 
what it means. I've been talking to them for three years. Yeah. Does it just mean <laughs> basketball league? Right. I guess so. Right. But the point is their teams work really closely with city governments. And so if you've seen the news, if you're a basketball insider about international basketball, they have preparations to evolve their league. And one of the requirements for the team is to have arenas that are big enough. And so currently they use like conference centers, for example, that just happen to have like second floor seating. Mm. And then you got to move in bleachers to make it a basketball arena down low and obviously the hardwood. And so as long as it's big enough, the B League says, okay, you will get approved. Well, if your arena is too small, you won't make it to the, they call it the B League Premier, which will take place in uh, 2026. Mm. So they work really closely with city governments. So as of right now, nobody's got enough wealth and enough fortune to just buy land build a stadium within a year and a half and then start playing basketball there. Right. Right. Cause that, that can happen with the richest teams you can imagine, right. Across the world, not only in North America, but you think about Europe with football stadiums, mm. You think about Australia, they've really built up their business. You know, they're a very serious contender in the Asia Pacific region now that they and New Zealand are in along with us. Oh, that's a whole nother topic about Mm -hmm. the international competition, how tough it's getting with those two um, areas represented, districts represented. So, I mean, as much as you think about how great it would be for our teams to have their own arenas. Like there's so much we got to take care of business too to prove that this business is viable for it to be a worthy investment. But once it happens, you know, you think about you can lease your stadium for concerts. You can lease your stadium for events and whatnot. You control mm. it. You make every dollar once you build that thing. And you obviously have to pay off the debts, but you know, the income stream is substantial. Right. But you just got to get committed to it that the main business makes you the money that you think is justifiable. Yeah. What about that new stadium, the Big Egg? <laughs> yeah. Right across from where we work. Yes. Because it's slated to be a baseball stadium, right? Correct. Indoor baseball stadium, but potentially could be used for other purposes. I know they're also having some issues and difficulties, you know, getting it open simply. But I never put this that? on air, but that would be like one of my wildest dreams is if Taiwan basketball was so big, we hosted basketball events in that giant arena. You obviously have to cover the baseball field with a basketball court. That'd be crazy. You know, they put, you know, the collegiate in the States, collegiate finals and collegiate region finals in big, you know, American football stadiums. That is wild. They Mm. even do that at college arenas too, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's a crazy thing, but like, that's that's something I'm putting out there. Putting out the universe. You know, it might not even happen in my lifetime, honestly, but it's something that I would like to put out there. Like, you know, sports is entertaining. Sports is interesting. And so like, Mm -hmm. and we're not talking about it doing it all the time. We're talking about doing it for like the biggest event Mm. you can imagine. Speaking of that, what is the difference in capacity between baseball games, big baseball games and big basketball games here in Taiwan? So your max capacity for a basketball event is the Xiaojudan, the mini dome, okay, which um, hosts famously the high school and collegiate basketball finals. Mm. So that stadium capacity, I think like 12,000 people could be in that arena when it's you know filled to the brim. Wow. That's the biggest ones. For the plus league, it's 8,400 for the Lion Ears when they opened up every seat. Okay. Um, teams have played at the Guoti uh, Da in Taoyuan, uh, the National Sports University. That stadium could be as much as 15,000 fans in attendance when it's filled to the brim. That's, what about uh, baseball? Right On the baseball side of things, uh, you're looking at stadiums about at max, I think 20,000. So it's not even crazy big. So baseball stadium, I've been to the most. Formerly AT&T Park, formerly Pac-Bell Park, 
I would like to call it, but now called the uh, Oracle Park mm. that the San Francisco Giants play in seats 42,000 people. Right. And I guess I've been there so much. It doesn't feel crazy big, but it's 40,000. It's double what one of the bigger stadiums in Taiwan can fill mm. outdoor seat stadiums. So the, the dome is supposed to be, you know, max out at, I believe, 40,000. So mm. like fans in Taiwan might be like, oh, that's really big. And I'd be like, yeah, that's big. It's only as big as, you know, Oracle Park. So that's not crazy, but we need to have it first. Mm. You know, it's really important because, you know, in March it's going to rain. Mm-hmm. And if Taiwan wants to have the big sports events, baseball in particular, obviously with the World Baseball Classic, like we did, having a domed arena is kind of important. It's no essential. delays, mm. you know, controlled space, of course, bring a lot of fans in. So that's an important element. Why is there so much energy at the kind of high school level and collegiate level in basketball and maybe a little little bit less in the professional leagues here. Oh, that's an interesting story because originally when the SBL got started in the early 2000s. The predecessor league to the P League. They still exist, to be fair. One of the key things is they had a lot of marketing dollars. And I believe, if I'm correct, was Nike, who was basically doing the marketing and the promoting of the league. So the SBL, of course, you know, you had that empty window between the uh, Taiwanese CBA gap to the start of the SBL. So in that gap, basketball fans are like, oh, no, we don't have our own league. You know, how are we going to keep up with the rest of the region? Well, the SBL started and Nike is like, we're doing the marketing for it. And Nike is cool, right? Mm. Nike, you know, if you're a basketball fan, you obviously know Jordan it made Nike huge. Mm-hmm. So when Nike put their efforts behind the SBL, oh, it's big. But at some point, they stopped their collaboration. And so you obviously lose some of the eyeballs from the fans, which converts into dollars. But you also lose some of the excitement and oomph. Guess where Nike went? Nike took their efforts and started promoting the high school level of basketball. It accumulates in the HBL in Taiwan. That's how the HBO got big because they got a lot of marketing dollars and they had enough because it's run by the Ministry of Education, you know, the, the highest group. So through their connections, they can get the Taipei Dome basketball arena. When it's so big, all the media from, you know, the north, which they're mostly located naturally, mm, like any other media industry. That's where they are. They all go to the big arena. Tons of fans come in. They bring in all the student sections. You know, it made a big event. And in recent years, you know, Adidas has put their weight behind the collegiate finals, the UBA and the UBA competition. So Mm. a lot of marketing dollars go into there. And so people go, oh, okay, something's going on. What's going on? Oh, basketball. Who are these guys? Oh, they're about to turn pro. Wow. And they're playing at the big arena too. I think two weeks after the high school final. So they're nicely spaced apart. Mm. And there's a lot of tension behind it. And so one important element of the Plus League is thanks to our CEO and founder was Charles Chen at the time said, okay, well, we need to make it cool. We need to hype it up to be a very important event in Taiwan, our own domestic basketball league. Mm -hmm. So he brought his prowess from being initially a team leader. A link national Dui. team. Well, a little bit national team, but from the Braves, from the uh, Dreamers time he spent there last. And then all the way back to the uh, Taiwan beer squads that he was initially a player, then basically a marketing guy for. He made up that position and right. did, had some success telling the story of basketball and selling, you know, the players' faces. Because that's the easiest sell about basketball, like court small, 10 guys, no helmet, no hat. You get to see their faces. You get to see all their expression. You know, the game is fast. Yet when there's a, you know, an and one, when there's a buzz or beater like time stops and all the eyes go to the guy on the court camera zooms in so in a sense the plus league is made fun of but at the same time it's something worth be proud of is like 
we're a very strong marketing league. You know, we put the players up front. We tell the story of like, what's the matchup going on? Who's got the history? We put that all up in front. You know, the basketball is the basketball. Admittedly, we have a long ways to go developing our basketball skills. But as an industry, it's important to sell it because you're, guess what? Even compared to 10 years ago, everybody's competing for screen time, phone time, you know, advertising time. Mm -hmm. So basketball, you also need to put in that effort because we're not an established basketball culture from a product perspective. We are established basketball culture because lots of Taiwanese love to take a ball at recess and go shoot hoops at the playground. Lots mm -hmm. of guys like to go to the playgrounds and the parks and go play. Lots of guys like to join, you know, rec leagues, wherever there's, you know, TU one, a regional district kind of sports complex. You go play basketball there. It's common. Mm. But as a product, people are like, I don't, I don't know what to buy in with Taiwan basketball. What, what's going on? Right. Well, you got to revive that. Like, no, it's hit. You know, it's only one game, but you're paying to go there to watch a show. You're paying then there to, for them to turn off the lights, do the player introduction. You're paying for the concert after, right? You're paying for, you know, the giveaways and the festivities. You're paying there to be part of a community. Mm -hmm. So we initially sell it as, okay, the players are big. The teams are competing for something big. But then behind the scenes, telling people that, hey, this team plays in your city, you know, they're also playing for you and you can help them out by going and cheering for them. You can help by, you know, making posters even. I wouldn't encourage this, but some players are open to getting direct messages on social media. That is helping them. Mm. Your encouragement, your support will help them. You know, if you want to boo the other team during free throws, maybe that'll help. I won't. Admittedly, You're not because, encouraging that because sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the antics around free throws are a little bit crazy. But that is the best way fun. for that is the best way yeah. for fans in attendance to affect the outcome of game. In any case, I'm trying to sell community because everybody likes to be around community. You had plenty of artists on, and they like to have people appreciate their work, talk to them about their work. Yes. You love artists who say, "Well, as big of an audience would be great, but I I want to know that people enjoy my stuff. I don't need their dollars, but it'd be helpful if they showed us my things to let you know the producers, the the venues know that it's you know worthwhile." thing that I'm participating in or I'm worth bringing back or collaborating with other artists. Well, basketball is similar. Like basketball is from tip off to the buzzer is 48 minutes. The whole thing is done in two and a half hours, mm. but getting to the game early and participating in these things, talking to other fans, you know, getting to interact with players before games is all hopefully something that everyone finds valuable. And it's worth honestly spending money for because, mm. you know, you could watch it for free on the internet. Now that could be a whole conversation about broadcasting rights and whatnot, but being in the arena, being where it's at is also, very important to you know hyping it up because we are nothing without our fans that mm -hmm. is to this day and will be forever true if you want to just play basketball there's just going to be basketball mm. no problem with that but if you want to create something lasting something that people remember they talk about you got to create community you got to create environments you got to create atmosphere and then you got to tell the story of it and then people will tell the stories on their own yeah exactly so what's stopping the p league or the t1 from bagging one of these huge sponsors well the recent recession is kind of a reality that everyone has to face. Um, mm. Title sponsors of the league is huge. To bring up the B League again, they don't have a title sponsor, but they basically have their well, which is called SoftBank. Mm. So SoftBank- Mr. Masayoshi Son. Thank you, sir. So SoftBank is the biggest booster to the B League, and they mm. help out manage their uh, streaming platform, mm. which- fans of Japanese basketball have to be a paid subscriber for. So it started off small. Not everyone's going to buy into it, but you got to build that subscriber base. So in Taiwan, CPBL TV has 
hung on till now. And I would encourage the league to hang on to that package because every team wants to sell their own broadcast. Because in baseball, CPBO specifically, they play 120 games and you have 60 home games. So you can sell 60 home games to the fans a lot easier Mm. and say, you buy 60 games, you get to watch all 60 games and you'll have our commentators going, yeah, I'm supporting our team. They did this good. Oh man, they maybe fell short. So you got to work on that for the next week. You can sell that. But in basketball, we're kind of new. We're still establishing ourselves and there's not that many games. Mm. The plus league season is 120 games. Each team plays 40. They only have 20 home games. So it's like, does TV networks want to cover that? Can you cover that as a team? Right. The cameraman, the production and whatnot. So it's better if the league hangs on to that. Well, in the Japanese B League, the TV network in each region has different levels. So it's a production that they set a standard for and every team, every broadcast is accounted for and they send that signal up to the subscription service. And the CBBL, what I'm talking about, they've protected that package. Every team needs to send a signal to CPBL TV. So everyone who subscribes to CPBL TV watches every single game or has access to every single game. Right. And so if you want to pay for an individual team package on Twitch or on whatever streaming platform, you can do that. But the league has protected itself too in that sense. Now, does it make a ton of money? I don't imagine so. Hmm. But it's an important congregation point for all the fans or even casual fans, importantly. Mm. Like it's a little too much to ask for a casual fan to like buy five TV packages. Right. It's a little bit more reasonable to buy one and I'll watch when I watch and I mm. want to watch whoever's on. You know, rain delays are crazy in baseball. So <laughs> the CBBL actually has a whole week for rain delays at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half. Mm. They just know, okay, we're going to get rained out a lot. So one oh, week free before hilarious. the all-star break, one week free before the playoffs start. And we got to fill those games in. So you mentioned it, but how does the broadcasting rights work? How much can you explain? I don't know, but with the PLG. All right. So here's kind of an unfortunate reality. Mm. You look at the NBA, they had their deals with ABC, then NBC, because TVs need content. So either they do their own content, they you know build a studio, they hire people, create they, you know, shows, set up a stuff. Yeah, so it costs a, a little bit of money, mm-hmm. and then they have a show. They show it, you know, weeknights, weekdays, mornings, afternoons, night, prime times, right? So they purchase the broadcasting rights of the NBA, of the NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey, and recently soccer is getting bigger mm. in the states, for example. So there existed a value to these products when TV was becoming a thing, right? So you're catching things at the right time is a very important note about things. So the NBA converted, you know, from one TV deal and they've capitalized on the salary cap in the signed in the eighties and then Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And oh my gosh, everybody's watching. So TV networks go, we got to buy the NBA. Guess what? The NBA goes, well, somebody else wants to buy it too. What do you got? Mm-hmm. And they're, you're fairly going to the market and getting broadcasting rights, broadcasting fees, money. And then some art of the networks might say like, well, I just want a day. Let I'll big, big production. That's how Monday night football came around. Mm. Oh, right. I'm a different network than, you know, Sunday night. Right. Money, 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 money. Oh my goodness, so much money. You fast forward and then these teams are converting that into, they want to do stuff on the phones. They want to do stuff with, suddenly Amazon streaming wants to get in there. Okay, we'll figure that out. Streaming services, Apple TV with MLS. That's more money, but they have an established product at the right time. So you fast forward to 2020 when the Plus League comes around. Unfortunately, in Taiwan, sports has not been seen as that important of a societal culture thing. Right. Baseball is our national sport. Our boys go out and do the best they can. The little leaguers go to Williamsport and they win the championship. We cheer them on. But as a society, Taiwan goes to sports and goes, uh, I don't know. Somebody else does it. Uh, my kid's not doing it. Right. What college are they getting into? 
That's right. Can they carry their grades and move up <laughs> exactly. in society? Yep. Well, that turns into sports being not as valuable. So when the Plus League gets around in 2020, as you mentioned, our predecessor, you could say the SBL has put their games on for free on YouTube. And mm. they, I don't know the specifics, or perhaps I cannot explain it in full, but basically it costs money to put on productions. Mm-hmm. And so when your product doesn't have enough value, guess what? The league now needs to turn around and kind of shell out money to get their games broadcasted. Right. It doesn't work that they're like, oh, you're so valuable. We need to give you money for TV commercial time. Well, guess what? The 21st century commercials on TV are running kind of dry. Let's mm-hmm. be real. Like yeah. you go on, watch TV, you get a lot of mobile game ads because they have True. the money to shell out. Yeah. You might get some like big tea company. You might get makeup companies. Yeah. Medicine. Yeah. Medicine is big. Exactly. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're not getting, you know, like hardware stores. You may be some cars, but not as much as before. Everyone's turning their dollars into the internet. Well, the Plus League's coming around at a time where people aren't willing to say this product is so good. We're going to pay you money for it yet. We don't even have fans that pay for our broadcast yet. So how can we expect the TV networks to sell enough commercials to go, well, your product's good. We sell enough commercials to ensure we have your product. We're going to pay you money for it. Mm. In fact, it's like the league's just saying, hey, can we split the cost of production yeah. to broadcast our game? So we're in a tough That's spot. That's where it's at right now. So- And you got to make tough choices. Like when do you make yourself a subscriber base basketball or any sport league? When do you Mm. make yourself? So the baseball league, CPBL, is valuable enough that fans go, I love this so much. You know, this is so important to my life and my family and whatnot. I'm willing to pay for a subscription. And that's a little bit, you know, it's like two bobas a month or, you know, <laughs> if you think of it that way or, you know, it's a few hundred NT up to a thousand NT, you know, okay. It's not something I'm willing to part with, but it's for entertainment and all the games are there. Okay. I'm willing to pay for it. This is our national pastime talking mm, about baseball, baseball, right? So basketball is like, well, what are we trying to sell our value as something hip, something for the younger people, but guess what? Hip and younger people don't mean a lot of dollars. It means people find you interesting. So you need to innovate yourself and you need to somehow put on a good show. And then hopefully at some important crucial period, we will go to a subscription model because I will tell the audience, like the TV networks are not going to be giving us money. Right. They're already, they're already in a tough situation. That's a whole different story about them. You know, the news is like, they're streaming it on the internet instead, along with their TV broadcast. They need that. They need the eyeballs. Mm. Those are all, you know, tough things about the environment. I'm not going to say, you know, we should just pack up and give up, but I'm saying it's got its challenges, but at the same time, you just need to innovate. It's just like anybody else dealing with their everyday life. You need to figure out how to go forward. You could use old stuff, Maybe you got to figure out how to work for the future for sure, but you're in your current environment and how are you going to deal with it now? How long do you think that'll take? Well, um, most optimistically, I think once you start your subscription model in Mm. sports, it will at least take three years to even build up a decent base. So we talked about Boston. His advice to me was like, y'all got to start as early as you can. I know it's going to be painful, but you need to let people know there's value to your thing. Are you going to buy it? Please Mm. buy it. Or we're going to be so good. You're going to ask us how to get on with a package, how to spend your dollars and purchase a TV pack or a broadcast package, more accurately speaking. Mm. So it will take at least three years to build up a base. The Japanese B-League said the same thing. Oh, we started our thing. Oh, there's not a lot of people subscribing. Right. It's always painful in the beginning. 
It takes time. The B League started in 2016. There was a merger. It was a, it was messy. Mm. But then they got their stuff together, and you know they're the big bros of the region. Mm. Honest, I will say, like the Chinese CBA, the mainland CBA basketball league, they're falling behind. Mm. They really are falling behind Japan. You know the play on the court, they might be better. Their guys are gigantic. They shoot threes <laughs> really accurately. Between the business model and being very international thinking, you know, you're kind of like, oh, two billion Chinese people is a lot of people. We're like, yeah, what is it as much as you know? There's so many billion people across Asia. Japanese league is like, uh, yeah, we want to be huge by being international. Yeah. And so that's something the plus ego, man, big bro. How'd you do that? What time did you do that? Oh man. Okay. We got to do it then. It'll take that long. All right. At least that's an important part of my job, you know, mm. understanding what are other leagues doing? What have other leagues gone through? So we can take those lessons and apply them to ourselves. Okay, so before jumping into kind of the more international arena or maybe even just Asia Pacific, uh, I want to ask you another question about Taiwan and your specialty, which is baseball and basketball. Can you explain for those who might not know well about the fascination with the cheerleaders in baseball? It's a huge culture in and of itself. That's true. You know, I just thought of it as you asked me. Um, for one, cheerleaders in baseball were certainly a marketing device, marketing tool, if you mm -hmm. could say. And and I, I just thought of like, well, the baseball players on the field, you know, baseball field is quite a big diamond. You know, it's a fan shape. It's, you know, 450 feet from the backstop all the way out to, you know, the center field wall. So there's a lot of space for, you know, nine defenders and a hitter and maybe a couple base runners, some coaches. It's a lot of space for not a lot of people. Well, guess what? They put the cheerleaders right on top of the dugouts and the cheerleaders are closer to the fans. Exactly. So that yeah. is a huge element of it, how cheerleaders can be more, you know, interactive with the fans in attendance. Mm. So that initially, I think at the time the Lamigo, which converted into the Rakuten baseball team, really got it going first. And, you know, they have the cheerleaders that are best known. They have the established culture of being maybe, I don't know if they'd like to hear this, but cheerleader with a baseball squad attached to it. <laughs> right. But they've invested a lot of money into this year. There's a big squad. The girls, you know, have their own social media clout. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to perform dance and whatnot at a high enough level. They have to attend team events, you know, charities and whatnot, big team functions, just the same. And so it developed into a culture where, you know, ball players were going overseas. The best talent is going overseas. And, you know, through the lean years of CPBL, when there's various, you know, dark times, baseball players in the industry kind of took a down footing. And uh. so- when you turn what is relatively speaking pure when it's, you know, not run shaving baseball is, I guess, the cheerleaders who are trying to cheer on the team. And in basketball, well, you know, our thinking is a little bit different, at least from the team side of like putting cheerleaders in the stands and letting them cheer on what's going on the court and perform during downtimes. Because it's, you know, an easy thing to have, you know, cheerleaders know the choreography. They dance along with the songs going on in the stadium. It's a little easier than if a DJ was trying to prompt the fans' intents to get up and dance, which Taiwanese fans are a little bit more shy at doing. <laughs> yes, right. So if you put a cheerleader there, people are like, well, okay, maybe on baseball, like the cheerleaders actually do every player's dance when they're hitters. So Ooh. it's easy to help cheer on the team mm. when you have people literally doing the dance. And so baseball viewers are actually very active, relatively speaking, if you sit, you know, on the infield, you're probably doing a dance to the home team. And then you sit for their away team. You need to rest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or in basketball, kind of same idea. 
Whereas huh. maybe because people who don't know in the States, in the NBA, the cheerleaders go out and that perform pregame, that perform at halftime or certain periods, and then they run off. You can't see them anymore because the fans are attuned to the game. They're attuned to maybe the DJ prompting them to dance. They're attuned to, I don't know, sometimes there's a blimp in the arena. That's kind of a crazy thought. Mm. And so just, you know, it's part of the appeal of the game in Taiwan. Now, rightfully so, I think there are certainly worth questions about, you know, to what degree of, you know, a show this is for the basketball versus for the other stuff. We'll just put it that way. Okay. You know, cheerleaders are an element of the other non-basketball things, but Mm -hmm. then how much eyeballs, how much proportion of the attention is spent on the game itself. But look, the reality is everyone who goes into the stands technically is a paying customer. Right. So to the teens, baseball or basketball, it's worth something. 100%. Yeah. It's part of the entertainment package. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to, you kind of, you know, hinted about it. You talked about it, but where Taiwan is situated, you know, within Asia. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on here in the Asian market? All right. So in terms of maybe national teams, that's a whole story about, you know, the association. Every country has their own basketball association, baseball association, association, football, soccer association, because it it has its appropriate governing body worldwide. Mm hmm. And so the governing body would say, like, you probably would be really well off with your own domestic league. Mm. And so that's how the SBL came about, because the Chinese Taipei Basketball Association was like, well, our boys would benefit from playing at a high level against each other. Because if we just go for our tournaments, we can only pick, you know, 20 guys on the big roster. They'll do training camp and we'll pick the best 12 and we'll go out and go play. Well, you know, 20 guys year round is not a lot of competition. Yeah. But you have four teams, as many as seven teams, and they each have 12 guys. Well, suddenly you're picking out from the best or they're gaming against each other. They're matching up against each other, trying to beat each other, trying to win that chip. Then you have your at appropriate times, you have your preparation, your training camp, you invite the best of the best. Mm. So that's the thought behind it. That's where the SBL came. Now, honestly, you know, the player incomes might not be top notch. So they're looking to other leagues. If I'm good enough to go play somewhere else and make more money, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yes. And so that was a huge void in Taiwan's basketball history where our national team was strong because so many guys were called upon to serve in the national squad. Well, they're playing abroad. So everyone's looking abroad and go, wow, what are they doing out there? One huge importance for having a strong domestic league is one, fans get to know these guys year round. So they build a lot more, you know, off the court value marketing wise or other business opportunities. And they hopefully your domestic league is strong enough where iron sharpens iron and you're sharpening each other's skills. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge reason why fans immediately draw parallels to like, well, we have domestic leagues in our case, the plus league, another league in the SBL. They have so many leagues yet our international records, not as good. And so people will draw parallels because like, well, there's more ball players, they're getting paid nice. And ooh, well, why don't we don't perform better? And mm. That's a definitely a very complicated question. But in terms of the relationship, I would argue, for example, people would say like, oh, they call too many fouls. But I would say, well, calling a lot of fouls mean you have to play disciplined, you know, clean defense. Mm-hmm. If you're able to do that, you're not afraid of suddenly going into an environment where, oh, they're not calling fouls. I get to amp up, you know, my hand checking. I get to amp up, you know, the physicality of my mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play too physical at home and make that an excuse for like, okay, well, we're international. We're used to it. It's like, no. Then you're playing defense poorly, bad discipline, bad concepts. Mm. You're relying on grabbing a guy's jersey and manhandling him to be a good defender. That's not how you be a good defender. Now, when you get to training camp, let the training camp tell you, hey, you can you know, play with your arms a little bit, hook that guy, you know, bump this guy. You can add a lot of more of those elements in training camp. Everybody will 
be able to play more physical. Not everybody's able to play better, cleaner defense. So that would be my argument, for example, when people, especially Taiwan basketball fans, complain all the time about our officiating. Truthfully, there are times when our officials are pretty quick, right? Oh, there's a slap. Right. That's a foul. It was like, oh, ball went down, hand go up. That's clean. Right. Easy refereeing concept. Ball go up, hand goes down. That's a foul. You didn't touch the ball, so the ball went up. Right. Just the hand when the hand goes up. You touch the ball, ball goes down. Things like that. So our fans are like, oh, but the referee is too tight. It's like, no, 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 no. I see it the other way. Well, you know, now that COVID-19 has kind of opened up, every kind of sport is opening up to a lot more international competition. So basketball, naturally, we uh, had our World Cup qualifiers, which we lost. Recently, we had the uh, Asian Games, which we did pretty well. We placed fourth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the squad came together really in, in a big way. And we will have uh, FIBA's Asia Cup qualifiers coming up is the next thing that the national teams got to prepare for. You know, I feel like you got to remember these things take time, mm. right? Even a squad that's quote unquote rebuilding might take two years for their youngsters to really get up to speed. Well, the national team kind of takes a little time too. Previously, we had Charlie Parker lead the Chinese Taipei squad for a number of years. And now Sam Maosun, a collegiate coach from Guoti, he's only in his first year. So he'll take some time to really figure out what he wants out of his team. You know, the naturalized player is also a big thing. William Martino mm. very dutifully participated in a lot of basketball. So he's kind of, he's kind of tired, honestly. I know. I'll speak he's for him. He's kind of tired. He's got to play basketball year round. Guess what? Again, guess what? Japan has like dozens of naturalized players. Now they don't all get to play. Only one guy can go for per country, according to FIBA rules, one naturalized player, but they have their choice of who they want to invite. Maybe they have three in camp. And they figure out who the best guy is, mm. right? And certainly there's a lot working in the domestic league, helping out those younger ball players work up to speed. The naturalized player is another topic, you know, before him was just Quincy Davis for many years. And Quincy Davis dedicated a lot of his playing career to the national team and probably worked himself a little too hard mm. at times. And mm -hmm. all the national team guys would say so about their basketball careers too. Hey, I didn't take the summer to recover. You know, I kind of have to pay for it on the back end of it. It's something that I do feel like will take a better turn at some point in the next three or four years for Chinese Taipei's basketball squad. We've already had a number of years down years, especially during COVID. Because of the pandemic, the veterans probably like, I don't really want to go because COVID and whatnot. So we've sent a lot of younger squads, but hopefully they can turn around. And part of it is the prestige and the care and the training you get at the national team. That should be an appeal to you. And, you know, we'll work up our way to that, hopefully. And we also have the EASL, East Asia Super League, which is pitting the domestic teams from different countries against each other. That's right. You mentioned that, and shout out to our good friend, Alex Olin, uh, ex-EASL, buddy of ours who connected us as well. But you mentioned before when you came here that you'll be actually leaving the country for a bit because of that. Uh, yes, right. Yeah. I had the good fortune of going to Okinawa in March for, mm -hmm. at the time was just the uh, championship week. They split time between Utsunomiya and I got to go to the Okinawa portion of the competition, which is really eye-opening. Matt Breyer is the CEO and the founder, along with his partner, Henry. Their concept is that Asia basketball, you know, might not be looked upon as a high level basketball competition. That might have been true in the past, but these domestic leagues are really putting a strong effort into building up a product that's very exciting, something that the ballplayers stay home for instead of going abroad, you know, and 
The Plus League is putting a lot of marketing sense into it. The B League has really raised their competition. The Koreans have been strong at basketball. Filipinos mm, and basketball love crazy is basketball. Immense. Yeah, yeah. And so you put those things together. And you think about it. And you're like, well, if we pick the very best of each other and play each other, the basketball quality is high. Now we just got to sell it as an entertainment thing. And obviously, their thought is Greater China and the Chinese market, mainland market of attracting those eyeballs too. You know, mm. that's somewhere down the line in their plans. And Championship Week was forced to be a condensed version of their competition. But what really is the highlight is going to be their home and away format that will start this season. And the Braves have already started. They lost, unfortunately, to the Chiba Jets here in Taipei. Mm -hmm. And it's only a six-game regular season. And the top two teams from their four teams groups, A and B, will make it to the final four. So in any case, you have three home games and three away games from each team. So it's some, not a crazy amount of international competitions. The biggest thing I draw parallels to is football in Europe. Every league has their domestic competition. It's so many games, but every team in those domestic leagues and in their schedules have a very systematic way of leaving blocks open for the squads to participate in international competitions. Mm -hmm. Like almost double, if not triple your team's value when you participate in these competitions. Obviously it's a whole nother game. So you sell a whole bunch of tickets, merch, food, beer, but you also get more TV exposure. You get more ad sponsorships and whatnot. And when you add international, you like mix up things, right? If you play like the Premier League's 20 teams, for example, in uh, UK, then you add like, okay, we'll play a, a French team. We'll play an Ita- Italy team. We'll play German squads. We'll play Spanish squads. I don't hope to miss out any Dutch. I don't know. Maybe someday the Eastern European teams race to that level and are champions or equivalent of champions. You play those teams and you just add a lot more into the mix. You know, four Asian countries we've talked about are very diverse, unique. They have different perspectives on basketball and on around the culture around basketball. So when you throw those things together, it's certainly something very interesting. And obviously for the Plus League, I think we want to make it a very important thing because we want to be on the international stage. We want to have ourselves be well represented. You know, the national team is something that's in charge of by the association, Ancho Xiehui, the CTBA. Well, our domestic teams, we think of very highly, but they need to go out there and prove it. So we have the Taipei Fu Braves playing group A mm. and the uh, new Taipei Kings who've slotted into group B. A little bit of a later ad, but the new Taipei Kings are also a very ambitious organization. So they want to be... Uh, Taking a lot of victories, Mm -hmm. make it to the final four, and if not winning the whole thing. So, you know, we have two good squads representing us and the competition is not going to be easy. You know, travel is going to be a whole different monster, honestly, because, you know, you go to a place, there's the flight, there's the visas, there's the long Mm -hmm. bus rides, perhaps there's whole new environments. They're help playing with uh, in conditions where they're not used to. For example, like, you know, the rosters are shortened. Right. In ESL, there's only 12 men on active, like plus league 13. You know, there's other leagues that talk about expanding that. So it's a challenge for coaches to get ready. And then they got to come home and try to be champions again in their domestic league. Mm. But European has the Turkish Airlines Championship League. That's a very good product. That's very exciting. So most of the time, for business reasons, our games are on the weekends across all the leagues around here, heavily on the weekends to sell more tickets, more fan attendance. But East Asia Super League wants to have Wednesday midweek games. And I think it's important to shout out the fans because you going to the arenas will create an atmosphere that really is a hostile environment, really has an effect and helps your team 
get the victories and hopefully move on to the final four and be champions of the region. You think it's a pretty good chance of either of the two Taiwan teams coming out on top this time? I think it's a little early to say, but the Chiba Jets have pulled off two very important victories. Mm. Um, to give you a preview, the Chiba Jets, last year's regular season, number one team for the Japanese B-League, and they lost in the finals to the Ryuku Golden Kings. They're actually playing quite shorthanded nowadays with a lot of injuries. So getting two early victories and your mm. squad hopefully gets healthier later. Right. That's going to be huge for them. And one of them was on the road, right? Every road win is supposed to be pretty tough, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to cry because Yuki Togashi broke our hearts, but then I'm also going to chase after him with a signage board because <laughs> Alex in particular yeah. was talking about Yuki Togashi. Like when you're talking about the stars around the various leagues, like Yuki Togashi, every time was like the first name Alex would say. And I'm like, all right, I see, you know, he, of course he's a short guard. Yeah, he, he's good. I see his resume, but see it in person. He was phenomenal. And he is not a tall statured guy. And he's mm. the captain of the Japanese national squad for years. He even found a whole new level making all those theories. 16 straight points in one quarter by himself. The forces into overtime, the buzzer beater. Oh, wow. That's just basketball at the world stage, really. We got to see it here in Taipei for ourselves. So you'll be going to Korea? That's the plan, yeah. The Taipei Film Braves will be playing the uh, Anyang Zhengguanzhong Red Boosters. Mm. We kind of have a name change, so we're still trying to get used to that. We talked before that Korea is a basketball powerhouse of the region. I mean, at least we can say maybe their international record has gone down, but they've had a strong tradition. Shooting the ball from outside, banking free throws is kind of a funny thing. And recently when I've kind of studied them, they're so traditional. I don't know if the guys know how to Euro step. Mm. And for the listeners, Euro step is when you like, when you pick up your dribble and you take a step right and then left or left and right. And you're trying to shake the defender with those two uh, steps to make your layup. Well, in Korea, they just a straight line and they're trying to beat everybody going up high. So it's, mm. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's very throwback. I could say. And whereas everyone else is trying to Euro, they're trying to dance, trying to do funny things. And Korea's like straight up. Korea just goes for it. So we'll see. Directly. Because the- Bailey, uh, Bailey. Red Boosters are also a squad that saw quite a bit of turnover in their roster. Right now, like their best guy is currently their Asian import, a Filipino man who played with them last year, had a great showing in the East Asia Super League Championship Week. Their biggest thing is they have Omari Spellman, who respectfully, I think, is a better player the bigger he gets. <laughs> he's quite a large human being and he's just he gets even better he shoots the ball well from deep he's still bouncy enough to dunk on everybody and then he's just like 300 plus pounds oh damn he big boy damn but he good simbolar right level. now right now kind of hurt so uh maybe might need to slim down a little bit on account of his injury but he's been their import for a couple seasons now very good former nba guy but you'll see a lot of former nba guys across the region the turnover and the precision, the calculus, the math, the analytics, people say all the time in the various leagues across North America, like make players' uh, lifespans very short. Mm. So you find a mm -hmm. lot of former NBA talents around the region in East Asia. Yeah, we'll like uh, Chris Johnson, right? The MVP of the finals last year. Chris Johnson spent time in the NBA. Right. Byron Mullins had one mm. of the longest careers. New Taipei Kings. And ac across a lot of the teams, you know, our best success story is uh, Davon Reed, who was like an NBA, you know, guy on the radar, I think drafted in the second round, but then COVID happened. So he basically was out of a job and then came to Taiwan, basically was the import of the year. It felt like. If you could get that pilot squad going, he got hurt toward the end. So it was won by Zaisa. He goes back to the NBA and actually makes it on the Nuggets rotation. Yeah, that's crazy. Didn't make the playoff roster, but by the typical rules of rings with the teams, he was part of the squad. So mm. I expect he should have a ring for being part of that Denver Nuggets squad for a little bit. 
Okay, so let's pivot a little bit to the man himself. Where does this all start? We mentioned from the outset that you grew up in Northern California, but you were actually born here in Taiwan. It's actually flipped. I was born in Northern California and I grew oh, up in Taipei. Right. Okay, so what is this story all about? So maybe, you know, shout out to your former guest and Caitlin, also another TAS alum. Yes. I might have had a better time, but you know, it's just different, <laughs> different years, different perspectives. DJ Caitlin. On ICRT in the mm -hmm. afternoons. Exactly. Um, so born in Northern California, my father, Taiwanese man who went to the States for school and then work. And my mom, a fourth generation American born Chinese. Ooh. So her ancestry came over from China okay. to work. I think her grandmother's side especially worked for the uh, transcontinental railroad system. Oh, wow. So Back that, in those days, original. Yeah. So that and then my grandfather's side, basically a San Francisco Peninsula family origin. So that's where most of they came from. So my father and my mother got together, had myself and my sister in Northern California. And the plan was for us to grow up there. Mm. You know, my mom has roots there. The family's all close, Northern California. But unfortunately, my grandfather on my father's side in Taiwan got sick and had to go on dialysis. So we're like, well, okay, well, unfortunately, maybe that means he won't have very long. Well, we'll move back to Taiwan for a couple years and, you know, spend time with my, your grandfather and grandmother and get to know them before grandfather passes away. Mm. Well, maybe the medical technology is so good or the care he got was so good. Two years of dialysis turned into 10. And so my sister and I, Taylor and I, we just started going to the local school across the street, Guangfu Elementary School. Oh, wow. What age was this? First grade through fourth grade. Okay. So. Our first language we speak at home is English. Huh. But my first academic language, technically right. speaking, is Mandarin. I get to school and everyone's like, oh, he's the American kid. Mm. Teacher, you know, cut him some slack. He doesn't, at the time, he, he cries easily. You guys just don't <laughs> cut him some slack. You know, we, we'll try our best not to bully him or make fun of him. I eventually got along pretty great with my class. But there were some times. Anyways, mm. and then when I get to the American school in fifth grade, they're like, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Chen, his grammar... <laughs> Needs a little bit of work and his uh, vocabulary is okay, but- He will never be an English broadcaster. No, no, no. They were like, uh, his he, English. he needs to start at the English as second language. Mm. So I claim that both my languages are my second language. Okay. It's a convenient cop. Oh, ESL, no, I, CSL. Uh, 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 English <laughs> is my second language. Oh, <laughs> So that's, you know, basically schooling up until, and then TS is K through 12. I went fifth through 12, just like my sister. Okay. And I went to Northern California where I went to Santa Clara University. Oh. So this is my most related sports thing. I interned for the baseball team, kind of, you can so speak, as a student manager. You know, every oh. team's got their student manager. Yeah. And Santa Clara University is well known for its sports. Yeah. Originally, we had a football team that was pretty good. Right. Our, our biggest product disbanded. was Our biggest product was Brent Jones, who was a Super Bowl winner with the 49ers. Oh. But then the Jesuits and the school administration was like, well, uh, I don't know. Football is just not really in line with our values. So it was cool, but we're going to say goodbye to it. Oh, really? That was the football is side that of the things. reason? Yeah. Huh. So, but baseball in the funny thing about collegiate baseball at the time was each squad is only allowed 11.7 scholarships, full scholarships. Hmm. And you divvy up however you divvy up. Halvesies, quarters, third scholarships, or full scholarships for your stars. Well, our baseball coach, um, a name by Dan O'Brien, was the head baseball coach of Santa Clara University. And he one day was like, he and his assistants were like, okay, one day, we for one season, we we came upon this pile of data. We hired somebody to track the strike zone and the the pitches that were thrown in the strike zone. But uh, we don't know how to what to do with this data. And so by my sophomore year, after first year, I was, you know, 
student manager just showed up to help out with like promotional events, the games they played on the field for stuff like that. And then like, hey, Ryan, 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 here, take a couple of weeks, take this data. I don't know, see what you can tell us. Because Moneyball this, yeah. Moneyball this. <laughs> so it was 2011 when I arrived at campus. So this was like 2012, 2013 winter when I get this data. And so I kind of knew how to use the spreadsheet thanks to taking some business courses and using it in high school and whatnot. But I just take this data and very basically put it on spreadsheets and then kind of figure out some insights that the coaches couldn't figure out. Because the thing to know about baseball at the pro level, there's a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot on the line to try to win the world series Mm -hmm. on college level. Well, you know, you're backed by academic institutions. So you have some resources to run your program, but you don't have the resources to like excel too much because like you need to fundraise it on your own. You need to get the kids their scholarships. You need to help out, make sure they're fed enough, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, so on the college level, baseball coaches don't have enough time or the know-how to develop into being you know, analytically numbers driven, Mm. you know, they want to be, but they don't have the time. They got to coach guys. There's only four coaches on college baseball teams. That's not a lot of coaches to go around to help out 30 kids. Mm. So, okay, Ryan, um, you figure out this data. So after two weeks, I make a PowerPoint presentation like, Hey, that's kind of impressive. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. And they're like, Hey, you know what? Hang out in our office. Whenever we want to talk about stuff, we'll throw you questions. You can tell us what you find, but you're just in the office. So that's funny. I did my homework and I did studies, but then at other times I'm hanging out in the baseball offices at Santa Clara University Wow, being their sabermetician. And I was gifted a copy of Moneyball oh. by Dan O'Brien himself. And he signed it. Hey, we don't think of ourselves as a you know big time program. We're kind of like the A's, even though it's a <laughs> private school. Right. Everyone has 11.7 scholarships, Mm. but you know, compared to other schools, especially like San Diego, especially like Gonzaga, Mm. uh, don't want to forget Pepperdine. Those are the big baseball programs in the West coast conference. So he's like, Hey, I want you to make us smart like the Oakland A's. And so appropriately enough, at the college level, you can kind of get away with 2000s, 2002 kind of saber metrics, mm-hmm. calculations and whatnot mm-hmm. at the college level, because not everybody else is doing it. Whatever I could find seemed to be very valuable to the coaches. Some people ask me, would you want to turn pro? And I'm like, I don't know if I can keep up. Right. Because it's 20, you know, by that time it's 2013, 14, 15 when I graduate, then it's like... I'm already 13 years behind what they were doing. So I would need to pick up all. Now there's academic programs for this graduate Mm. schools and whatnot, but I was like, I don't really know if this is for me, but this provides my foundation of using spreadsheets, tallying things up, averaging out. So if you ask me back to my prep Mm. for a game, when I look at a box score, I feel like I can get more out of it than taking an hour to watch the film back over again. Mm. Because my basketball playing stopped at freshman year at TAS. So I have not played that much. I have not played any high level basketball, not even high school varsity level. So for me, if I can find something out of a box score, that's a lot easier for me to tell a story on air of like, okay, they had struggles shooting the free throws that other day. So let's see if they made the adjustment or they've been on a streak of turning the ball over 25 times, three games in a row. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask the coach about that or we'll see if they're a little bit more secure with the ball Mm. versus if I watched an hour of film, I'm like, well, um, I'm not sophisticated enough to like see it and identify it and remember it. Right. If I see it, maybe I write it down. I collect enough 
notes, I compile that. Okay, I kind of have an idea now, mm. but it's a lot easier to go by number. So that's kind of my important um, step in my non-convention role to getting to be a broadcaster of learning about sports through you know numbers and spreadsheets. And again, it's not a thing to advance, right? Because there's layers upon layers and generations of different analytics. Like some generation would make fun of the other generation. And I would be like, man, <laughs> to me, player efficiency rating is very advanced, but some people are like, ah, that's stuff five years ago. I'm like, oh, it looks really new though. It's helpful for me. Hmm. Anyway, so I didn't do any sports related jobs until this broadcasting gig came around. What honestly. about sports itself? I mean, have you been a big sports fan or sure. a sports player? You know, yeah. thanks. My father was always big into basketball and still is today. He plays twice a week, even though he's eligible for Medicare in the States, full court, everything. Oh, wow. Um, he was always big into basketball and he's all along been a casual fan of everything. And my mom's side, they're a casual fan, if not, you know, dedicated fans of the 49ers, of the San Francisco Giants. You know, when the Warriors came around, you know, they watch Warriors games. So our household is a natural household of consuming sports on the regular. I think that definitely is a thing that maybe compared to my peers from local school might be very different. They might be like, well, I had an interest or I have an interest in one sport, but there's probably not enough around Taiwan to be, it's basically baseball or nothing for yeah. a lot of our childhoods. Mm-hmm. Certainly for uncles and aunts who are on the older side, right? right. It's like baseball, yeah. Baseball has been around, watch a little bit. Other sports, I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. And then you mentioned it before, but your sister is also a broadcaster for the rival league. That is correct. Um, oh, the story behind that is- <laughs> Our other league, the T1 league, doesn't have as strict rules with their import salaries. Oh, in this way, Howard league. In this way, they made they made an exception for the Dwight Howard, Superman, Orlando Magic. Los mm-hmm. Angeles Lakers. Lakers eventually won the championship mm-hmm. in 2020 with the Lakers. Exactly. But Dwight Howard kind of found himself on the outs of the NBA. And so kind of during COVID as well, he was like, somebody got in touch with him and his people. And they said, would you want to come to the Taiwan to play basketball for a big sum of money? That's kind of an industry secret. But I can tell you, it is definitely way more than the import salary rules that our league has, the plus league has, mm. and certainly of the other league. And so they made an exception for him because they're like, well, he'll be box office. A lot of fans will come watch. Well, the other league was like, well, we have our manner broadcast on the internet too, but we should also have English broadcast for Dwight Howard. And so My sister was actually kind of tasked to finding a broadcaster. So she asked me and I'm like, respectfully, I'm going to say no. I have my all, I already have my assignments and it's the other league. So I will respectfully decline this. And Taylor, my sister was like, well, I think I'll take a hack at it because it's funny. Her and Sophia Song, the first Taiwanese American basketball player in the WSBL, also a Southern California Taiwanese American. She was over here and the two of them talked and was like, hey, you know what? Ryan's broadcasting on air. Sophia, you had your first color commentary gig. You know, if Taylor, if I had a chance, maybe I might try to do something like this. And it just so happened that very week, they're looking for an English commentator for Dwight Howard's debut in Taiwan. And so my sister jumped at the opportunity. She got paired up with, mentioned before, Charlie Parker, former national team coach, who just so happened to have his contract expire. So he had a few weeks left in Taiwan and he jumped on and was her color commentator. That's insane. That was her first game. That was her first game. Dwight Howard against the DEA. They came back from 20 some odd points. Al Bashir <laughs> on the other side, who's a national team player. Amazing guy. Scored like 50 points in the game, but ran out of gas in the second half. It was kind of a funky game at the same time. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It was some, there was some funk going on. 
And what about your sister in basketball? Has she kind of been a big basketball fan or she just kind of jumped in this pretty blind? I would say she's generically kind of just an okay basketball fan. She played wow. a little bit growing up on the weekends. We played on their weekends, youth league and whatnot. She played a teeny bit in high school on the JV team at TAS. But she was just like, ah, you know what? Basketball's not really my thing. The way that functions, the coordination is just not for her. She's a volleyball and softball girl. And one summer, I think she was tabbed as the Jones Cup, like, English reporter-ish. So you just got to write a generic press release about what happened. You know, shout out to the Jones Cup. It's a very important basketball tournament, invitational. Yeah, William in Jones. Uh, an important member in the international basketball community for, I'll say the country, you know, supposed to be for ROC, then Taiwan. He was like, well, you guys are losing your seat at the UN. We need to keep basketball as something that keeps you guys on the international stage. So had the Jones Cup. So my sister was like, a, for one summer, was like with the English press release girl. She write about the game every day and then send it in and they put it on some website and whatnot. Mm. She did that for a little bit. And then she's always like kind of known about basketball. She knows how it works, certainly. She's actually very animated. She's very creative with how she calls games, how to describe things, mm. the idioms she uses. For the most part, she loves baseball. Baseball oh, is huge for her. Really? Yep. And has she commentated any baseball yet? Not had good fortune to try that out yet. Okay. But maybe that I would be something that I think I would encourage her to like, maybe be ready for. Because as you mentioned, the Baseball World Cup. Yeah. U18 was here this summer, basically. Last mm. year it was the U23. Um, Taiwan loves to host the baseball events because mm. our... Baseball Association is a big supporter of the uh, WBSC, World Baseball Softball Confederation. So, you know, the more events you host, the better chances your home squad gets of placing well, earning points for the world rankings. So um, last year, Chinese Taipei was second behind Japan, even ahead of the U.S., mm. mostly based on our records at the U-level tournament. So under 18, under 23, 15, 12. Our squads do well there. You know, obviously the national squad, you know, it's a whole different game with the best of the world playing. So Chinese Taipei in the national squad rankings in the 20-ish. But on all the U, you accumulate those points. Yeah, we're... And then this year we fell to like fifth, but with a chance to climb up thanks to our um, second place finish in U18. And so baseball might be something in the future for her. Wow, wow, wow. And we live in the same building. So like... All the English commentating is kind of situated in the same place. In the same building, rivals having dinner together. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So as I mentioned from the outset, we are only a couple weeks away from the start. Can you tell us some things that you're looking forward to for this season? You know, we're literally about two weeks out, right, from the start. So any kind of players you're interested, any teams, any uh, drama or other things that you think we should look out for? All right, let me give a note to every team. First off, we got to start East Asia Super League in its first year. The Braves already got one game under their belts. The Kings will be playing. We'll see if Jeremy Lin is a full participant or if something goes on during the season, but he'll be uh, certainly the star. He's been a star here in Taiwan. He'll definitely be a star if and when he gets on the stage of the East Asia Super League. Mm. We'll see how that goes. Again, only six games for the regular season. So it's not a lot. You really got to give your all every game. Do the math. You got to get four wins to lock in your spot to mm. make it to the finals. That's something you'll be looking out for. All right. So let us let me give a quick shout out to every team so everyone feels covered. Nice. I mean, the Braves last year had stretches where their young players really stepped up for them. I'm talking about kind of their leader in that group is uh, Josh. Gosh, so national mm. team player, number eight. Um, he's actually has his graduate degree 
Mm. Very intellectual player, kind of a forward to point forward guy. He's kind of like the next wave of young Braves to continue their winning ways. He's flanked by uh, TJ Jintings on number 24, kind of like an undersized two guard, big heart. He's got a nice stroke, a nice shooting stroke alongside of him. Obviously, number 21, the, the local center, Zen Shangjing. So these three kind of highlight the Braves' new younger players because they still have Beast, they still have Ty Winston. Mm. They're the old guards, but you know, they're one more year older. So they got the three P man, the four P is just going to be even that much harder. So the younger core will have to play a lot more minutes, try to get them through into the playoffs and even through the playoffs. New Taipei Kings, they're so deep at guard. We talked about Joseph Lin last year was a big standout as a trade. You talk about the incumbent number nine, Lee Kaya, and he's trying to prove something on the New Taipei Kings. But the biggest addition in free agency was Jeremy. You know, Jeremy's huge influence on the game, obviously culturally, but on the basketball floor, like he just does everything well. Mm. He defends well. He team defends well. He shoots well. He moves without the ball. He can get guys in position. I mean, last year, Kind of unfortunately, he's so tough that he wants to grab rebounds. And that's how he got hurt Mm. on the last game of the season. And the Steelers, unfortunately, missed out by just one game. But that's what the way it is. That's how he plays. And he would say, I wouldn't take it back. Mm. That's how he is. But, you know, long season, how they're going to manage all those minutes, all those personalities. That's kind of the King story. They're going to maybe be out without Amigo Yang Jingming with his situation. We're not entirely sure how that'll shake out. That kind of um, is up in the air, for example. But two-time MVP of the Plus League. So maybe it won't be him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that will be an interesting storyline nationally. All right, you go to the Talian Pilots. Caminos is in second year with the squad, but I think a lot of teams have kind of figured out his offensive playbook. So, and he got really, the team got even younger. So that might make it harder, but they have a group of pretty interesting young players too, led by last year's rookie of the year, number 30, Bai Alton or Xiao Bai or Ethan, I call him. Their tall shooter, Zhang Zhenyan, Mayao, number 27, same birthday as me. Shout mm. out to Mayo. Mm. He's a tall shooter in the second year. Probably play better. They picked up second overall in the draft. De facto number one because of situations. Uh, Chao Tsuyu is it turned out to be a really great three-point shooter. So they have these three young guys to look out for. You go down the line here's, you know, Oscar is always an important small guard. Great flair, pretty good productivity, but you know the team finished last place last year, and their off season has been a little bit lackluster. But that home crowd is going to be behind the team, especially um, your dad. Yeah, for sure. We'll see about them. You know, Coach Greg is in his fourth season, so mm. you know he made the number one seed two years ago. Really, kind of playing for his job in a sense because the fans have not been supportive when he's playing poor. When the team's been playing poor, as you should expect from all your fan bases. So it'll be interesting to see how they get started. Mm. That'll be a very important point. All right, go down to the Dreamers. I mean, Georgie B, their new import, has injected a lot of life into the squad along with surprise standout Randall Walco. He's back from injury. So that team is very athletic. They didn't hardly do any local additions. In fact, they just saw one Jeff Wu leave, but that squad will be athletic and Aji's going to take another step up. But they have a new head coach and Jamie Perlman from Australia. Mm. It'll be interesting how they do in that sense, but they're really athletic now with Walco in there and Georgie B. You know, Brandon Gilbeck's still one of the best shop lockers of the league. Huge dunks. If you're looking out for that, uh, Brandon Gilbeck will serve them up for you. <laughs> the Steelers obviously didn't re-sign Jeremy Lin. I'm sure they tried to, but without him, they added a couple vets from the pilots through a trade. And so, and they got in most worthy uh, of mentioning Chou Dazong, very famous head coach for his sound bites. But from all <laughs> it, all we've kind of observed from the team, he's really trying to 
build this program from the ground up, from training camp through preseason, forming the team and their identity in regular season. They brought back fan favorite Femi Olujobi, a do everything like six foot eight, nine, ten, six foot ten kind of forward. Mm. He scored almost 40 points in the preseason. He's back with them. He knows what they're about. The fans love him. They're very deep, but you just don't quite know how who's going to really give you the standout performances. I would really like to see rookie of the year from two years ago, Tanyoe, have a big step up. So that's the Steelers. You know, they haven't, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they haven't made the playoffs in their two years of the team. They're kind of, you can say, under pressure, but without Jeremy, maybe not under so much pressure, but mm-hmm. we'll see how that plays out. But Coach Cho... I mean, kind of headlines that squad. We'll see if they can, you know, make it a run. And if we were talking about the the strength of the league, I think the Braves and the Kings by far are on a different echelon for the other teams. Right. It's a long season, but you look at them on paper, quite a far away as ahead. Mm. So you look at the rest of the four teams trying to go for two remaining playoff spots. That's also any predictions. Uh, I think the Kings were our number one seed last year during the regular season. Right. They played really strong, but they were short an import because the paperwork being a little bit late down the stretch and the deadline and whatnot. So it was Byron Mullins and Kenny Manica, who are two phenomenal ball players, but they kind of got tired. They kind of got run down by the long season. Mm. This year, they're, they really got a lot of guys ready to go. They have Hayden Blankley, their Asian import for the East Asia Super League competition. But, you know, I cannot confirm or deny the rumors about changes to the import rules, but... If there are more players, maybe a different variety of skill sets of imports get to play like Blankley. They have Preston, Mitchell, who are very athletic, very specific skills that might fit in well with the team. And Jeremy leading the squad. They are definitely the front runners regular season. And if they make the playoffs as the one seed, you know, the new type A Kings crowd is getting louder and louder as their team history goes on. And mm. so they're going to be hungry to knock off the champs and the Braves. You think it's a good idea to have a change in the import rules? I have been a big supporter of what the Plus League has done with two active every game day, two on the floor, first, second, third quarter, only one allowed in the fourth and overtime. Now they can be swapped out for each other in the fourth quarter and overtime. So two can't play at the same time in the fourth or overtime. Yeah, only one. There's rumors out there. I cannot confirm or deny that Mm. the number for both playing on active game days and how many you can dress. So one has to start on the bench. Right. They're word that that number will increase. I will say to nerd out a little bit, the plus league average has basically been import score 40% of the points. Locals score 60. That includes the overseas Chinese like Jeremy, Joseph, like Walco, like the international students. I call them smart. Last year's, you know, Boca kind of stood out. Mm. You count those in the locals. Admittedly, maybe people might disagree with me, but imports score 40% of the points. And in the fourth quarter and overtime at about 25 to 30% of the points. Mm. And so I see that as two data points as that's consistency. So this move will certainly see that percentage go up. I hope it doesn't get past 50% like other leagues in Taiwan, which I've done the math for. Oh, interesting. Maybe teams just figure imports, maybe balance out the competition from top to bottom. Right. That definitely has to be their number one argument if that's what was going to happen behind the closed doors of the meetings Hmm. of those decision makers. So if that levels out the playing field from the best team down to the number six team, you know, I guess that would have its merits mm. if you explain it that way. Mm-hmm. I will leave it at that, I guess. That's okay. cool. Those are my, some of my thirsts because we don't know the concrete details yet. Yeah. They have not been announced. Exactly. And there are a lot of rumors that will pop up, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a brave new world out there. 
It's so. definitely very interesting because it's like startup culture and what people expect mm-hmm. of us as a mature pro league. But it's like, hey, man, we're doing it's a lot a of things for the first time. And like I mentioned, in the 21st century, in the 2020s, so there's a lot of tech out there. There's a lot of different shapes of the marketplace, of marketing, of you know the, the fan. What do they expect? Well, how much income can they spend on our sport? There's all interesting things to navigate. I'm really happy and glad you invited me to share as much as I can. Yeah, likewise. Podcast. Yeah, no, thank you so much for giving us all these insights. This is, again, a a brave new world with a constantly changing, you know, pace and situation. So um, we'd always be happy to, you know, check in again with you and see how things are going, you know, as the season and as the PLG continues to grow, you know. Yeah, let me finish off our regular season, as Ken, you've nicely pointed out, starts November 11th and our regular season will go through May and we will see about the playoffs. The details have not been announced, but previous years, it's a best of five series and then a best of seven to determine the champion. So that'll land around mid-June. So it's a long season. We're competing for the NBA to be the last basketball season playing in the calendar (laughs) year. It's long. So come out and watch a game. Certainly welcome everybody to watch our broadcast for free on YouTube. You know, if it piques your interest, hopefully you stick with us. I'd be open to answering fans' questions Mm. through my social media handles or if you want to have a conversation, I'm open to that too. If you want me back, I'll be open to coming back. But I know it's a very prestigious list you have here at the uh, Firelight Chat. Exactly. But you are always welcome, my friend. All right. So where can people find you? All right. So our YouTube channel is p.league.official, I believe, on YouTube. Okay. Um, I haven't figured out my podcasting situation. I might take a step back to work on the other things I'm tasked with at the league, but mm. my social media handles basically all C-H-E-N-R-A-Y-E-N. That's my Mandarin name, Chen Rayun. Mm. Not appropriately spelled. It's actually passport-wise supposed to be J, but you know, <laughs> when your mom makes your email account as a kid, it's R-A-Y-E-N. Chen Rayun, my social media handles for the most part. Okay. All right. That's where to find him. Reach out to him. We will definitely be tuning in on YouTube. Try to go to those games. Say what's up to Ryan. Scream at him from the rafters. He'll love it. We'll all love it. So with that, we'll leave with a little Chick Hearn. The game is in the refrigerator. The door's closed. The light's out. The eggs are cooling. The butter's getting hard and the jello's jiggling. So ladies and gentlemen, and everything that jiggles betwixt and between, stay cool, stay fresh, stay hungry, and see you again next time when we open that door up with another surprise. Peace, everyone.